5. So far in our series, we've looked at the history of the nation of Israel. The family of Jacob, 70 people in all, moved from what we know as the promised land, what they knew as the promised land, and moved into Egypt as, as God's means of salvation, wasn't it? They weren't, put into, they weren't dragged into Egypt kicking and screaming. That was God's means of salvation, saving them from the drought and the famine that was in the land. Generations have passed. Pharaohs have come and gone, and now the people of Israel have been enslaved, taken advantage of, abused, despised. But God keeps his promises always, doesn't he? It didn't surprise God that they were enslaved in Egypt. In fact, God had told Abraham beforehand, uh, by the way, your descendants are going to, they're going to be in Egypt for about 400 years, and then they will receive the promised land. The text told us of Moses' birth, the special protection that he had, uh, being just happened to have been found by Pharaoh's daughter. Yeah, that wasn't just a happenstance, was it? Being raised in Pharaoh's family with all the advantages of education and wealth and status. When Moses is 40, he tries to take a stand for his people, and that falls flat, doesn't it? As he tries to rescue one of his fellow Hebrew who is being beaten. You know, we tend to get ourselves in trouble when we're doing what we believe the Lord wants, but we go about it in our own strength and in our own time. And that's perhaps a lesson Moses learned. If he didn't, we should at least learn it from him. That going at it, even though it may be something that we know the Lord wants to have happen, if we're doing it in our strength and our time, it's gonna fall flat. And so fearing for his life, Moses has fled. Most recently, we looked at the burning bush and how God interrupted Moses' life. He had been living happily as a, I guess I don't know if he was happy. He was content, though, as a shepherd for 40 years, and God interrupts his life. He promises to force Pharaoh's hand, and God is going to keep that promise because he always does, doesn't he? So the problem that the people faced in the text last week and still this week is that God's promised deliverance has not been immediate. Do you ever feel like that? Dr. Newman earlier said, where, but sometimes you go through seasons where you think, where is the Lord and what's he doing? Is that how you said it? Pretty close, yeah. Where is the Lord? What's he doing? Because I, I don't see it. I don't feel it. I don't sense it. That's what's been going on with the children of Israel. But remember, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, right? If you ever find yourself in a, in a time of, in a season of darkness and, and the Lord just doesn't seem to be shining through, or remember his promises. And by the way, this is quoting from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Memorize this verse. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why does God wait? 
So people have the opportunity to respond. Moses is finding himself in what I'm going to call the pains of middle management. He has his orders from above, and it's, it's all the way up there. God himself has come to earth and spoken to him and told him what to do. So he knows what he has to do. And so he does. He goes and tells Pharaoh. He gives that message. Remember last week? Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may worship me. God above Moses is telling him what to do. Pharaoh is now resisting. And now what we're going to see in our text is that the people are being punished for Moses' actions and they're, going to, they're complaining to Moses. God is giving Pharaoh time to respond. Remember we talked about this last week. Uh, God didn't have to use Pharaoh at all. He could have very easily just gotten the children of Israel out. He got Peter out of jail by just having the chains fall off and the angel let him out. He could have done the same thing with the Hebrew people. But instead, he chose another route in fact, as we, as we go through, as we continue through the, the narrative of the Exodus, we're going to see that God gives Pharaoh chance after chance, opportunity over opportunity to respond. And he continues to refuse. So I invite you to join me in our text this morning, Exodus chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse 15. Exodus chapter 5, verse 15. Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Verse 1, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for being the God who keeps his promises. Help us to hear from you through your word this morning. So guide my thoughts and words. Open our hearts to respond in faith to how you want us to understand your word today. Help us to trust you and your plan. In Jesus' name, amen. Our big idea this morning is God wants you to trust his plan. Pretty simple. And pretty hard. God wants us to trust his plan. 
Moses finds himself caught between a rock and a hard place. He knows that God is powerful and will bring about pain and even death if he disobeys. Remember, we looked at that last week uh, where Moses and Aaron are talking to Pharaoh and say, if we don't go, God most certainly will send some sort of pestilence among us because we, we have to go and worship him. Moses found that out in a very personal way when God nearly killed him for not having circumcised his son in just the previous passages as well. So God has commanded Moses to lead the people out of Israel, telling Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh has not only said no, he has retaliated by making life even harder for the slaves. Keep making bricks, don't back down. By the way, you have to go get your own stuff. All of this has led to what I'm going to call a hierarchy of complaints. First of all, we see the foreman complain to Pharaoh in verses 15 and 16. Who are these foremen? These are Hebrews who are managers over a certain number of Hebrew slaves. They're responsible to the Egyptian slave masters. They are middle management, for real. They are in between the the Egyptian slave masters and the people who are actually doing the work. So they have pressure from above, pressure from below. People over them are demanding bricks. The people are below, below them are crying out, we can't, because they don't have straw. They have to go gather the straw first. And now they're being punished for not producing the right number of bricks. What's interesting is the capacity for these individuals to even go and have a meeting with Pharaoh. It shows that Pharaoh at least has, um, has a facade of being fair and open with the people. Of course, their meeting is not going to change Pharaoh's mind. Uh, Pharaoh is very full of himself. He believes himself to be a god of Egypt. The Egyptians revere him as a god, and he's not going to have these peons change his mind. But at least he can appear to be for the people, So a contingency of these foremen, probably not all of them from the land, but a representation of them have gained a hearing with Pharaoh. And their complaint is a righteous complaint, isn't it? You've demanded us make these bricks, but you've no longer supplied what we need to make these bricks. Something has to give. We've been given an impossible task. Either increase our supply, restore it to what it was, or reduce the number of bricks. We just simply cannot do what you've commanded us to do. And and how does Pharaoh respond? He says, stop being lazy. That's how I'd say it in today's vernacular. You're just being lazy. How narcissistic do you need to be to be Pharaoh and say, I'm probably more than doubling your workload because it's not like they could just go pick up straw at the nearby Home Depot. They had to go and gather it from the fields. In fact, the scripture says they were gathering stubble, not even gathering the same stuff that they had before. They had to travel significant amounts of distance to gather their supply and then also build the bricks. How full of yourself do you need to be to be Pharaoh and says, oh no, you're just being lazy. Pharaoh responds in a very politician-esque way, doesn't he? He doesn't answer the direct problem of straw. He turns the narrative around. He accuses them of being, sl- being lazy. You are idle, you are idle. Go keep working. One author 
has noted this. Religion has always had a precarious relationship to political power. When power is on the side of religion, it tends to corrupt the religion. But when the power is against religion, it tends to persecute it. That's exactly what we see happening in this section of scripture. The power is against religion, so it's persecuting it. And we see all throughout history when political power is on the side of religion, it tends to make that religion not godly anymore. So the power is definitely not on the side of religion. And not only is Pharaoh persecuting the Israelites, there are no checks and balances. There is no one with any authority in Pharaoh's life to tell him, hey, you know that's unreasonable, right? (laughs) I mean, you can't tell them to make something without having the supply to do it. So these foremen are feeling the pain, quite literally, as a direct consequence of Pharaoh's decree. They are being beaten because the people below them are not producing the right number of bricks. These foremen know that Pharaoh's decree is not because Pharaoh was just having a bad day and got angry. Pharaoh's decree is a direct response to Moses and Aaron going and speaking to Pharaoh. So it doesn't take a genius to connect these dots. Their pain, their being beaten, is a direct consequence of Moses. Put yourself in Moses' shoes. Moses has done what is right. He has obeyed God, and people are now hurting because of it. So the foreman complained to Moses, verses 19 through 21. Uh, Moses and Aaron were not in the meeting, but were waiting outside. Uh, when the foreman emerged, emerged, it says that they, um, verse 20, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. The foremen are middle management, and so is Moses. Moses has obeyed God, and as such, Moses can't just turn around and go back on what he's already asked of Pharaoh, can he? He can't walk into Pharaoh and say, you know that whole worship thing that we were talking about? We didn't really mean it. We don't want to see our people get hurt. Just pretend we never came. He doesn't have that option. He can't go back in there. He can't undo this. Moses knows that God is serious, that there will be consequences for them not obeying God. Yet he has this pressure from the people because they are being abused. And look at the content of their complaint. The foremen don't approach Moses and say, man, this situation stinks. What can you do? Can you help us? No, that would have actually been a godly response. No, what they said instead in verse 21 is the Lord look on you and judge. May the Lord judge you because what you have done to us. You have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh. You've put a sword in their hands to kill us. You've given them reason to harm us, to even kill us. I think every pastor who's been a pastor for any length of time knows a little bit of what Moses and Aaron are going through here, what it's like to be faithful to God, to be faithful to the text, and someone to misunderstand or someone to just accuse you of being the absolute worst. But I will say I've never had someone say, I'm going to die because of what you said. I haven't had that. There are enough of you smirking that I might hear it later today, but I'll know that it's a joke, okay? But Moses and Aaron are in a very, very difficult 
position because people indeed might die. The greater sin in the complaint of the foreman to Moses is not just that they desire God to bring judgment on Moses for what, what's happening. Their greater sin is that they are failing to trust the Lord. They know that God has met with Moses. They know that that means God has met with the people, that he's doing something. It's no longer, God, where are you and what are you doing? God has shown up. They know that God has promised to rescue them. They know that Pharaoh is going to be stubborn, but that God will force his hand. They know all this. God wants them to trust his plan, but they have let their immediate circumstance blind them to the impending redemption God has promised. They have let their immediate circumstance blind them. Do we do that? Of course we do that. Scripture is thousands of years old. These truths that God keeps his promises so that so we shouldn't be distracted or discouraged or blinded by our circumstances. These truths are thousands of years old. In fact, they're truths from eternity. And yet we still need to work on this, don't we? Over and over again. Every time something hard comes into my life, I have to tell myself, sometimes aloud, because otherwise I don't listen to myself, that God knows what he's doing. And I can trust him. The people have complained to Moses. Verse 22, Moses complains to God. Moses turned to the Lord, to Jehovah God, and says, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? That's a little callback to the last chapter or so when Moses says, please send someone else. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. By the way, Moses is being very careful to not disparage God as being evil. Pharaoh is the one who has done this evil. Pharaoh is the one who is causing this pain. Yes, it's after following God, but Moses is very careful not to call God evil. But he's also not holding back either. He says, God, I know what you said, but I know what I see. I know what you said. You said that, this, that, that Pharaoh is going to resist, but ultimately we're going to be set free from Egypt. But that's not what I see. What I see right now is the pain. What I see right now is the torment, the hurt. So what's going on? This is why we've included chapter six, verse one in today's passage. Because God answers. Now next week, Lord willing, we will look more fully at that answer, which is ultimately the theme for this section of, uh, of the book of Exodus. We're concluding with this chapter because God answers. The Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Pharaoh is flexing his might right now. You want me to let the people go? I'm just gonna make life harder for you here. 
Pharaoh is flexing his might, but God is going to flex on him. It's with a strong hand, meaning because of God's strong hand, because God's strong hand is going to force Pharaoh to send the people out. God always can prevail in any situation at any time. Do you believe that? Woohoo, I got amens in a Baptist church. All right. God always has the strength and power to do every good thing to prevent every evil thing in our lives, right? He has that capacity. But he often holds back in order that his strength and his might might be more greatly understood. The Lord tells Moses, now you will really see what I'm going to do. God's plan included circumstances getting worse before they got better. Let me say that again. His plan included things getting worse first. I don't know about you. When I make plans, I don't ever include plans for things to be bad, for things to go wrong, right? Our plan is for things to go right, God's plan includes circumstances getting worse. In fact, they're going to get significantly worse than what we've looked at yet. If you've been reading ahead, trust some of you have been, I hope you have, keep reading ahead. You see in the plagues, some of those plagues affect the Israelites. Some of them don't. But some of the circumstances are going to get bad for Israel before they get better. God is sovereign means he knows all things he has power over all things he controls all things he is sovereign and he is good remember the word we used to describe that is providence providence in God's providence God is bringing about negative circumstances in the lives of the Israelites in the, the lives of the Hebrew people at the hand of Pharaoh this is still God's providence God chooses suffering for his people he chose it for the people of Israel at the hand of Pharaoh and it hurt it was real pain God chooses suffering for us his people He chooses suffering. Now, if your view of God is small, if you don't understand God very well, maybe you're new in the faith and you don't know him very well, a a statement like that can be very confusing, can even be very off-putting. How can a God who is good bring bad things into life? But when you have a big view of God, when you have studied and meditated on the scriptures, especially passages that talk about suffering, by the way, how many of those are there? I didn't look this up. It sure is an awful lot. I don't think that's the technical measure, but it's true. Suffering is all through scripture. God chooses suffering for us. Some of you are suffering right now. 
You're in the, the middle of it. You're in the throes of it right now. Others of you are still nursing wounds from suffering in, in the past. Maybe you have scars that you can point to from having suffered in the distant past. We should never be surprised by suffering. For even God the Son suffered. Jesus suffered for us. And it was God's plan. God's only plan of salvation has always been rooted in trusting God to take care of our sin debt. And it was always through Jesus Christ. Through his suffering. His sacrifice. What's amazing is that not only would God send his son, his only begotten son, to die for us, but that he would make the means of salvation, the, the, the way that we enter into that salvation, to be just trusting him. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't say, well, you have to trust me and you have to be a faithful church member for 70 years. I'm sorry if you pass away before you hit 70. Can you imagine? No. By faith alone. It turns into works, and if you live long enough, may you be a faithful church member for 70, 80, 90 years. Praise the Lord. What a glorious testimony. That's the fruit of salvation, not how we become saved. It's amazing that God would choose to have his son suffer our consequence, right? And then give us the results by faith. What an amazing plan. Rather than trusting our own works, we trust him, right? Many of you have. Most of you have. If we can trust Jesus for our eternal salvation, can we not trust him through the pains of this life? If we can trust him for that big one, for eternity, for our salvation, that, that payment that we could never afford, that we could never undo even just a little bit, if we can trust him for the big thing, can we not trust him for the pains of life? Can we not trust him for our temporary needs while we are trusting him for our greatest need? God wants you to trust his plan. Now it's true, he has not given us the immediate details of, of what's gonna happen next, like he has for Moses. Moses has been told, you're going to have these interactions with, with Pharaoh, he's going to resist, but eventually he is going to release you, he's gonna force you out because I'm gonna force him with a strong hand. Moses knows more details than you and I know. That's true. But he has given us his word. And in his word, he's given us the big picture. How we are to live now. What lies in life after death. So because he has done that, will you trust his plan? Would you pray with me? Lord, we confess that it is sometimes very difficult to trust you when what we see in front of us is only hurt and pain. Lord, you, you have not promised to relieve us of our 
suffering, sorrows, and pains in this life. But what you have promised is to carry us through those times. What you have promised is to be faithful, to be with us, to never leave or or forsake us. What you have promised is that your spirit lives in us, comforting us, guiding us, helping us. And what you have promised is an eternity, an eternity apart from the presence and power of sin. You've promised us an eternity in the presence of our Savior. You've promised that one day you will wipe away all tears from our eyes. So Lord, help us to trust you through the tears in the here and now. Help us to trust you when life seems hard and you seem hidden. So Lord, use your word daily and powerfully in our lives. Use our fellow believers to prompt each other, to encourage one another, to correct one another so that we might be more like our Savior. Because that's, what you use, that's how you use suffering. You use it to, to mold us, to fashion us. We're gonna see that that's exactly what you're doing with Moses. You're hardening him, you're strengthening him, you're helping him, even though he hurts. So Lord, I pray that, that the next time we face that kind of pain, that we would recognize your hand and that we would trust you through it. Lord, thank you for your great promises. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.